After decades of gray men in gray suits, Americans woke on the morning of September 15, 1901, to find that possibly the single most energetic and vivacious of their 78 million strong, Theodore Roosevelt, was their new president after the assassination of William McKinley. McKinley was elected twice and had been well-liked. At 58, he was still a young man, even by the standard of the day. Only five foot seven, he was short but marked by a barrel chest, broad shoulders, and ample gut. In those days, a sign of health and prosperity. He had three years left in his presidency. But on September 6, 1901, he was shot while standing in a receiving line at the Pan American Exposition in Buffalo, New York. Just three days before, Leon Schogoltz, a 28-year-old anarchist, had paid $4.50 for a chromed 32 caliber Ivor Johnson revolver. As he approached McKinley, Schogoltz fired twice, hitting the president in the chest and the gut. McKinley survived the initial attack and gracefully instructed his attendants to be careful when giving the news to his wife. Dr. Matthew Mann was the surgeon available at the fairgrounds, and despite the crude facilities and Mann being a professor of obstetrics and gynecology, the decision was made for Dr. Mann to operate immediately rather than transport the president to a local hospital. Even so, McKinley died eight days later on September 14th. At the time of the shooting, Roosevelt was on a hunting trip in the remotest stretch of the Adirondacks, 35 miles from the town of North Creek, New York. Rather than return to Washington, Roosevelt continued hunting, and McKinley died while Roosevelt was still working his way over dark roads from the Tahoe's Club Hunting Lodge to North Creek. Roosevelt was still 43 days from his 43rd birthday when he was sworn in as president on September 14, 1901. When McKinley selected him to replace his first vice president, who died in 1899 from a string of heart ailments, Roosevelt was serving as governor of New York. Among the reasons he got the post was that the powers that be in New York State wanted Roosevelt out of the governorship and making his mischief elsewhere. Roosevelt had been the ideal candidate for governor of New York when he returned from the Spanish-American War as a hero. Never mind that some of the hero-making had been more Roosevelt's premeditated doing than sheer gallantry on the battlefield, although there was much of that. Roosevelt was a master of self-promotion. There was so little room on the ship taking his regiment to Cuba that only Roosevelt and the senior officers of the Rough Riders were able to bring their mounts. Many of the Rough Riders had to walk into battle. But Roosevelt made sure there was room on board for reporters, photographers, and even a couple of early crude movie cameras, despite the objections of the United States Army. The war lasted less than four months, but the experience seemed to teach Roosevelt that every subsequent professional and political conflict should be charged with the drama and righteousness of this armed combat. Even relatively minor disagreements with potentially helpful businessmen evoked in him the furor of battle. For Roosevelt, losing the battle or being killed was preferable to missing the action entirely. 
When asked about the possibility that the war would conclude before he got there, he said that would be awful. He professed the hope that all his officers would be killed, wounded, or promoted. Coming upon a dying rough rider on the battlefield, Roosevelt stopped, shook his comrade's hand, and said, Well, old man, isn't this splendid? Roosevelt wasn't new to politics when he entered the 1898 race for governor of New York. He'd been elected to the New York Assembly in 1882 as a 23-year-old, despite being warned off by friends that those of Roosevelt's ilk, education, and wealth didn't go into politics. Roosevelt simply replied, That merely means that the people I know do not belong to the governing class, and I intend to be one of the governing class. As an assemblyman,